Hi, welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about, well, how people, uh, some of the factors that go into developing a strong preference for intoxication. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can solve addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private, one-on-one classes. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. Okay, so hi everyone, this is Mark. Um, <laughs> so I, I was in class today, and uh, it's it's a pretty amazing thing. First of all, let me just say that I, I was having a class on Zoom, and I was amazed because when we started the Freedom Model 31 years ago, it was pre-cell phone, pre-internet. Hmm. Pre all of that. And That's so true. That's yeah. so crazy. Pay, pay phones were on every corner. <laughs> we're right? dating ourselves right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. I, I just it's shocking how long we've been doing this. And and the fact that I can talk, have a one-on-one class with somebody anywhere in the world. And yeah, that we face-to-face. Do, and that we do that every day. It's just cool. It is super cool. Um, so I was having this class with this fella. We'll call him Tom. That's usually the name I give everybody. It's not his real name. <laughs> and, uh, and I said to him, um, we were talking about, the fact that in this particular case, he he had been hiding, as an example, cigarette smoking. We were talking about hiding our drinking habit, and he had contacted me to help him with his drinking habit, and he's got a bunch of kids and a wife, and they were pretty upset about it. And, and he said, you know, when I started smoking when I was just a kid, I hid it from everybody because I was this kid with a scholarship to college. I was a sports guy, you know, and... And then he got married, and this entire time, from the age of 12 all the way straight into his 20s and 30s, he, he was smoking, and nobody knew. He kept it a secret for decades, which is really hard to do. That's remarkable. Yeah. But what it did was it built this fantasy that he had with smoking, and he, on the outside, he was the scholarship kid, the kid that mm-hmm. always did everything right, and and then he said, but there I was smoking when I was 13, 14. And I wouldn't even be inhaling. I would just puff it, and I would I would feel like a badass, right? <laughs> and and I get sounds that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, but but what's interesting was the act of hiding it became something of a ritual that started to spread into other areas of his life. So when he started drinking, he had the same sort of attitude about it right up until just a few days ago. You know, we had our first class and he had he had drank between our first class and our second class because he was obviously struggling and he hadn't he, we hadn't gotten through much material, obviously. And and this whole topic of of hiding it uh, became the sole focal point of the class. And I said, do you know why that is? Do you know why it's so important that you hide it? And he said, well, I've really never thought about it. I just because I don't want to deal with everybody. And I said, really? I think that it's it's uh, whenever we create deviance, whenever we create uh, a whether we're hiding something or we have a second life with something, people do it all the time with food, porn, all these different vices, right? That society doesn't agree with. And when when you have a, a situation where you start hiding something, you're actually giving it oxygen. You're giving oxygen. Right. You're giving uh, value, a greater value to the experience. And you're fortifying 
all the other reasons why you like to get blitzed. So let's say that you're a type of person, this fella Tom, uh, he, he wanted to... He, he wanted to get rid of his anxieties. He wanted to get rid of uh, stress, so he would drink a lot. And everybody understood that, so that wasn't really deviant. But then he had this other aspect of it where now he would hide it, and he got very good at it. And he goes, so now I'm sneaking around. I'm finding good ways to lie. I'm finding good ways to hide the booze. And he goes, I've been doing this for decades now. And it's become this thing. It becomes a construct. So I explained to him, I said, that's a construct. You do understand that that's a part of your binge construct. In your mind, you've built value into this whole experience. And part of that is this deviance, the ritual. Um, he goes, yeah, sometimes I'd, I'd tell my family I'm going for a run and I would go for a run and then I would buy booze at the end, get the pint. And he goes, do you know what? I, I When I initi initially went for the run, I was depressed at home, so I couldn't get booze any other way. I couldn't get in the car and go do it. So I went for the run. And he goes, then I would get to the store, and I would feel better because I went running. <laughs> and, and I didn't really see any need to get the booze. But now I was there, and the ritual itself made me, and this is what he said, made me get drunk. So I drank the pint and then run home. And obviously he wasn't running as fast home. God. So um, – but the point is, is that the ritual and the construct have become so well ingrained and become such a big part of his drinking habit that even when he felt no need for stress relief because he just went running and he felt good and he felt healthy and he got out of the house and he was feeling, you know, totally different in his in his emotional state, um, the ritual itself carried on. The deviance carried became on. became a habit. And it became exciting. Mm -hmm. It became exciting. Now, here's what's interesting about deviance. When it becomes exciting to you and you live this double life and you have the, the drug habit and all this kind of stuff is a part of that, um, you'll, you'll, that ritual becomes the whole point. And, and then what factors into that then is control. Now you'll watch people who, and I was explaining this to Tom, you'll, you'll watch people who, who cut themselves, who, hurt themselves, who are bulimic, who are anorexic or overeaters or whatever, if they don't feel like they have control in their life, they will overeat, they will harm themselves that way, they will cut themselves, they will drink to oblivion, they will do all these different things that most of society doesn't agree with, and they will gain control. Now, we have healthy habits that are termed healthy that other people gain control by working out. Uh, uh, running, um, doing well at work, having good social relationships, all these different things that end up being very positive. So you can gain control in different ways. And when I explained that for Tom, that was totally revolutionary. The idea that he was trying to gain control and he goes, my God, that is, I do, I drink it, everybody. And then when it all explodes, I kind of get off on that. And, you know, I've heard this literally tens of thousands of times from people over the, over the years. And I did it too. You know, when you feel like you don't have control in your relationships or satisfaction at work or whatever it might be, you'll delve into an area of your life where you do have control and you will gain control. And, um, and other people may not like your choice. And so it becomes a real issue. So I was just explaining all that to him and, uh, and, and it, it really hit home. So, I think that um, 
I certainly had aspects of this with my drinking. I can remember um, not having a good relationship with my dad and desperately, desperately wanting his love, his approval, and him to notice me because I was horribly neglected. And um, I would do just about anything to get his attention, but he would never give me an accolade. No matter how hard I tried at something, he would never say, good job, or I'm proud of you, or I love you. So I figured somewhere around, I remember 12 to 13, I said, I'll just hurt myself. I'll just drink and drug myself into oblivion and literally self-destruct, and he will notice. And he did. And I did get the attention, but it was horrible attention. Um, But it was better than nothing. So that may be a factor in your decisions to use as well. So what do you think about all that? (laughs) I think a lot. (laughs) Um, I just can't articulate it right at the moment. But this is a podcast, so I have to articulate it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I, there's a certain amount for me and a lot of the women, I mean, I work with a lot of women, a lot of the women I work with, um, the taboo of something, knowing that everyone, you know, everyone in your life doesn't want you to do this certain thing, absolutely adds to the uh, allure of it. It adds to liking it. It makes you like it more. Um, and, you know, I, I actually had a talk. I have a, a new student I'm going to, who's uh, signed up today to do uh, private instruction with me. And we were talking about this exact thing. Um, you know, when, when she was, you know, 10 years ago, she went into, uh, went to a rehab because everybody kind of forced her because she was, she'd been a heavy drinker forever. Right. And, um, and, but it didn't seem like it was a problem in her life. She's highly successful in like every other area of her life. Um, and, and so she did this thing. She went to AA, she did it for a period of time. She didn't really like it. Um, she made her feel like a loser and, uh, and, she was really grateful when everything shut down because she, that was her excuse. That was her out. And, uh, so she kind of cut herself free from AA and, but really was feeling, you know, restless and bored and anxious. And, you know, because at that point too, she wasn't working because her, everything had shut down. And, you know, she, she said that somebody told her, why don't you just smoke a little pot and see, you know, maybe that'll help with your anxiety. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, it's a slippery slope and you got to be careful. You don't, so this person who doesn't want her drinking suggested the pot, but then was like, Ooh, be careful. And, um, she's like, you know, so I started smoking a little pot because she was in a state that's legal. And, um, and she's like, you know, but it wasn't Chardonnay. (laughs) That's what she said. She didn't prefer it. She did not prefer it. And, um, which I can relate to that. Um, you know, it's a different, you know, a high from marijuana is different than a high from alcohol. Um, but now, you know, because everybody's on her case, she started drinking on the down low, like your guy. And, um, and there's, you know, there she's, there's an allure to it, but she feels terrible about it, even though nobody knows, um, you know, by all accounts, she's, she's drinking moderately and, um, but she's like, but why do I have to hide this? You know, why do I, ha- she doesn't want to hide it anymore. Um, but, but all the AA shit is in the back of her mind, you know, all that, um, the stinking thinking and, and the, the fact that she's gone down this road now really proves that she's, she's an alcoholic and an addict. And, um, 
and you know the the shame and but the shame also feeds it yeah the, yeah you know feeling that shame it makes it more attractive to being high again and um and so so that's that's the stuff you kind of have to unpack you know I, I talked to somebody else today who who you know had a had a went on a binge over the weekend and and i'm like so so you know what what happened what brought you back to the binge i was just bored yeah you know what that, that's the perfect segue <laughs> for me to as you were talking i was thinking about the um so you have you have different focuses right things that mm-hmm. that you focus upon in your life and when when you hook into drinking or drugging and it becomes your one option the human mind is not very good at sticking with one thing and the reason is because the mind habituates first then brain tissue habituates then the body habituates then your lifestyle habituates right and that's the order in which things happen but the mind habituates very 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 quickly and you can have something that is exciting and new and shocking and within a couple of days, if you repeat that process, it becomes mundane, normal, it, it becomes the norm, and eventually boring, but very fast, very fast. So people, what they don't understand is that the human mind is like a constant perpetual machine, perpetual motion machine. It's always, your mind is always seeking, as long as you're alive and conscious, it's always seeking a happier place, right? It's this relentless thing inside our head, our body, wherever it lies. I don't know what, where the metaphysical mind sits, but, but it's this relentless thing. And if you focus on one thing, you have to constantly, constantly freshen it and add things to it and add fantasy to it and... Uh, add different flavors hmm. to it. And so you, you you hear about people who say, yeah, when I was 14, I smoked a ton of pot, and then I switched to cocaine, and then, but drinking's been my mainstay, and um, that's really, really common. Mm-hmm. And um, But now they're they're bored, right? And then and then I'll say, well, why do you drink? What's What are the reasons for drinking? And they say, well, it cures boredom. Yeah. <laughs> yet the drinking is boring, right? But they don't they don't put that all together yet. And and the whole drinking thing is turning into a complete catastrophe in their life because they're utterly completely depressed and bored by this action that they've been doing for 20 years and it doesn't satisfy. And so their mind is relentlessly looking for the drinking to be better. So they drink, they drink vodka now, then they drink mixed drinks, then they they hit wine. And I hear this all the time mm-hmm. from older folks. Yeah, and then I got into the wines <laughs> because they could drink again on the outside and feel sophisticated again when just, you know, two years prior they were hitting the vodka every night and not feeling very sophisticated as they're face down or <laughs> passed out in the recliner. So so it's this it's a strange but really not so strange thing. It's actually quite normal. This idea that we have alcoholism is ridiculous. What it is is it, it's a preoccupation yep. with an option in your life that you have fortified with deviance, ritual, um, feeling like you have some control in your life. When let's say you are a retiree who had a successful business career, you were a successful lawyer, and all of a sudden you now have eight hours a day to do nothing, and you have plenty of money to do it, and your house is paid for, and you're still married or maybe not, and um, and you're bored out of your skull, but you have alcohol, right? And then you build this habit, and then your wife starts to bitch, 
right? Relentlessly because you're you're drunk all the time, drunk all the time, and you're sloppy and maybe abusive, and uh, and so now you have to build deviance into it. Then it becomes big. Now yeah. it's become big in your life. Now you have ritual to focus on. You have to hide it. You have to f- figure out how to move funds around, how to hide the credit card that you get your booze on delivered now because of the pandemic, and yada, yada, yada. And it becomes this machinery in your mind. Um, so you gave, I like this term, that it gives it oxygen. It gives this this old hat that had been starved new oxygen, new levels of relevance in your life, and you just keep that motor running. Um so, so it's important to understand that sometimes our drinking or drugging isn't one-dimensional. It's, it's all kinds of fantasy mixed in. Now, when you have the deviance part added into the mix and you're hiding it, then we find that people will start to drink or drug in certain ways, like if they're an opiate user, maybe now they're, they're getting high at the drug house instead of home. Mm-hmm. So that becomes part of the deviance and the habit, right? Um, or they're going to the crack house, and then they're getting hookers. That's a common thing. Or they're uh, maybe smoking meth, and they're going to a bathhouse, which they would never have done before. And now all of these types of different things become part of the deviance and their fantasy world, which think about it. Now you're living a fantasy, and so now what you have is a fortified reason to keep getting blitzed. It adds all this layering. Now, the question becomes with all of this, though, I've heard everything you can possibly imagine of these types of situations, as has Michelle, and yet people aren't happy. Right. Which is why when we say, what do you like about it? They're stumped. Yeah. And and so they have, they've fortified their habit with deviance, gaining control, and the ritual but yet even that has become mundane. So, so they're trying really hard to, to pull out of this experience, um, you know, all, all manner of, of different angles. But in the end, it's still them just drinking or drugging and getting fucked up. Right. You know, and so it's no matter how much you spice it up, it, it's not going to be any any really uh, different experience. So sometimes I think when people get to us, they have fortified their habit with all this stuff, but they've also kind of hit the edge where they're saying, I can't spice it up anymore. There's just no other angle. I've tried everything to make it relevant in my life and it doesn't fit and I want to change. But they don't want to give it up. You don't want to give up the fantasy because there is that. That's the thing. That's the key is all right. We have to figure out, we have to kind of unpack what it is. What is your, which is what Mark does with, with a lot of his students is the binge construct. What is your fantasy? What have you, what have you built around this activity that still has an allure for you? Because the truth of the matter is once, once you really don't want to do it, you'll stop. Well, that's it. That's it. That's absolutely true. So uh, our phones are sitting here ringing. (laughs) Somebody knocked on the door. (laughs) Yeah. I'm amazed we've kept our cool with all this. That's the problem where you where you're you're doing a podcast from your office at the retreat, which is sort of an active (laughs) place. There's things going on here. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's people to help. There's people to Um, help. So uh, so anyway, I I think that, so what's the point of all this? The point is to just look at um, 
why you drink and drug, how are you fortifying your desire for the, for the substance? Um, are you creating ritual? Is that important to you? Are you, have you created deviance where it's gotten a greater relevance in your experience, a a lot more time and effort involved in, in your habit? These things build importance into it. And, um, are you trying to gain some control in your life? Are you, uh, you know, trying to, maybe you feel out of control. Maybe your relationships aren't where you want them to be. Maybe your, uh, physical life isn't where you want it to be. Maybe your job and career is over or isn't where you want it to be. And so you have this activity called drinking and drugging that, that holds your attention for a little while each day. Um, if that's the case, here's the issue. Is it working? Is right. it actually making you happy? And here's where the class with Tom really took a turn. He started to explain and get honest about his ritual and the deviance and all these different angles that he had had placed into his drinking and drugging daily habits. And then I said, "How do you? is it fun? And is it solving everything? And do you feel like you have control? And he goes, well, actually, I do I do it because I, I need the control, but it creates a shit show, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he goes, I don't think it's working. I, d- I said, I got to agree with you, Tom. I mean, your life's pretty messed up. And uh, and you're, go- you're actually in the process of getting close to losing everything. Right. So you're not controlling anything but this tiny world in your binge construct. And is that what you want? Because if, honestly, I said, look at nine out of 10 people get over the drink and drug problem and they move on with their lives. But there is that one that says, you know what? This is all I give a shit about. And I'm going to make my world this tiny little one room motel room and I'm going to drink myself to death. Is that going to be you? Is that something that you want? The odds are that that's not what you want. And he said, God, no, I don't. I have so much to live for. And I said, all right, let's concentrate on that and stop the ritual and let go of the deviance get honest. Now, if you want to continue to drink and drug, uh, then then tell your wife and kids that's what Be you're honest. doing. Yeah. Keep, have it out in the open. Exactly. And what you'll soon find is that the ritual, the deviance starts to go away. Now, what you're going to have to deal with is your wife and kids, right? Right. Um, but the deviance and the ritual does uh, slip away and the value, this oxygen gets cut off to that relationship between you and booze and it starts to weaken that relationship. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I, I I talk to I've talked to a lot of people recently, both online and on the phone, um, who who want want all things. You know, they they want the relationship with their spouse, their significant other, or their children, or their parents, and but they still want to have this this fantasy with getting high, and getting drunk. They still have the strong preference for it. And, and so the answer is, okay, be honest, absolutely be honest with the people around you and say, look, at, I'm doing this because this is what I want to do. This is what I believe make me, makes me happier. And right now in my life, I can't imagine living without it. Um, but I also want this relationship with you, but I know that maybe you're not going to put up with it anymore. I get that. And I'm, you know, and be willing to say, you know, I, I, I'm going to keep doing this. So you have to do what you want to do with it, whatever that is. Now, this doesn't give people permission. And that's another thing I had to say to somebody online over the last week. It, you know, it doesn't mean that this person has to accept it. 
Yeah, that well that's that's it. There there are many things you have to balance in this yeah. in this process, for sure. You know, so so it's not like we're saying in the freedom model, I think some people misinterpret it that we say, Oh, I should be able to get drunk and high and do what I want and everybody in my life should just shut the hell up and accept it. And that's not what we're saying. They're entitled to their happiness, whatever that means for them. You're entitled to your happiness, whatever that means for you. And if you're both not moving in the same direction and you can't come together and and figure that out together well, then maybe you need to go your separate ways. I mean, is is you and, know, and sometimes, and sometimes when you come to grips with that, that reality that the family's not going to accept it. I know a lot of people that quit drinking. Yeah, the change that are like, wait a minute, this is important to me. You know, my my family is important to me, and it look at. We're not saying that people pick alcohol over their family, or they pick you know getting getting high over their family it's not as cut and dry as that it's not it's not a binary thing it's most people want both that's right you know and so you know your your love of you know getting high is just as you know you have the love of your family have a love of getting high it's just like the same you know i love apples but i also love bananas you know these are two different things um so but when you're honest with your family it's really remarkable like mark said how it takes the um it takes it down a level the the your your preference kind of weakens yeah that's it does it starts to dissolve yeah and um and so now it's out in the open and and then you know you're letting everybody know this is what i'm doing and then maybe it doesn't become as fun anymore yeah you know and the fantasy breaks apart it doesn't stay together yeah there's there's like i said you're you're sucking out the oxygen out of the room yeah you're you're not feeding all this framework in your mind this remember it's a construct right just imagine that you're building this box that you live in within your mind and you're breaking that that house of cards down piece by piece and boy i tell you if if you get rid of the deviance and the hiding and the lying and and the ritual associated with going to get the drugs and going to the liquor store and when you do it and how you do it and how much mindfulness you put into it and and you feel like this is the only control you have in your life if you let that go and then you put your control into maybe building a new relationship mm-hmm. with your wife or 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 husband um building a new relationship with your kids that might take a couple of years, right? Right. But but here's the deal. Uh, these types of things, we tend to make them a lot bigger than they are. Kids, kids love attention. You <laughs> yeah. Know, you can rebuild a relationship in a week. Yeah, you for really, sure. Kids, kids I, we used to always used to say babies bounce. <laughs> like children are incredibly resilient, you know, as long as we expect them to be. Yep. Yep. And uh, I mean, there were some relationships, obviously, that in my case, took years to, to oh yeah, to me rebuild. too. But I was, it was worth it to me. Um, so all of these are factors in deconstructing a a drinking and drugging uh, binge construct. So um, all right, so I think we hit this good, and uh, um, I hope that you you move on with your life. Uh, if you want to know more about this sort of thing, go to thefreedommodel.org and get your free copy of The Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. And you can get that by going to that website and then uh, use coupon code FREEDOM100 and you can digitally uh, download that book. 
Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or maybe you've been listening to these podcasts, you've been, maybe you have our book, but you're not really getting through it, um, and you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626. Mark and I actually answer that line uh, personally. Um, you can check us out on our websites, thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Soberforever.net will give you detailed information about our beautiful residential retreat, the St. Jude Retreat. Um, it's truly a beautiful place to come and spend a couple weeks with us or a few weeks with us and to learn the Freedom Model and be immersed in it. Thefreedommodel.org is our hub and has a ton of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, free ebooks, and information about our at-home private instruction program that Mark talked about earlier. Digital editions of our program books are available on thefreedommodel.org and also on Amazon and other online retailers. Um, you can also get our this podcast at thefreedommodel.org. <laughs> Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We have three Facebook groups we started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free addiction and recovery they are the freedom model group moving beyond addiction and recovery and families moving beyond addiction and recovery and if you uh, need detox you can call our friends at gallus detox that's g is in girl a l l u s is in sam detox.com um, and uh, they will help you from everyone here at the freedom model we wish you well until next time All right, take care